Would you please stand with me now as I read this morning's passage of Scripture from John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Neil is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and returned to talk about. My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're, we're going to do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat. And I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done. And I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery. Uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. Good morning. We are glad that you are here. Uh, our kids can be dismissed at this time, and uh, there's great programming down the hall for them if they haven't left already. Uh, we want to welcome you to our worship here at 9 o'clock at Community Christian Church. Uh, Dr. Mary Neal, from the point her kayak got stuck, uh, was underwater for 15 minutes. And she has the answer to what every one of us wonders at some point or another, what happens when we die. 
Is there a God? Is heaven real? And if so, does heaven have a plan for me? And Dr. Mary Neal's answer is yes, absolutely. There's, there's an old joke uh, that three guys are playing poker one night, and one of them asks the other two, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And one said, I want them to say that I was a brilliant doctor and that I saved many, many lives. The other one said, well, I want them to say that I was a devoted and loving father to my kids. And the third one said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. That's true, right? And more and more people seem to be saying, look, he's moving. There's a Gallup poll uh, that was done that estimates uh, 13 million Americans have had what is known as a near-death experience. I'm just going to call them NDEs today, okay? Where some people have come to the point where they have no heartbeat, they have no brain waves, people are actually clinically dead, and yet they are brought back to life in some way, shape, or fashion. And some of those people have shared that they've experienced some things while they were dead that were amazing. And what they say they experienced on the other side of death might be hard for us to believe, but if we can tr trust their stories, then what we have is firsthand evidence that when this life ends, that it in fact does not end. You always live forever. And maybe what, what we say is the end is just the beginning to a very real story and a real life that is more exhilarating and than, than anything that we've ever imagined. And guess what? God has been telling us that all along in his scriptures. I want to start today with John Burke's story. Nearly 35 years ago, John Burke, uh, his dad was dying of cancer. And, he, and as he was going through that, he picked up a book called Life After Life. Now, at the time, he did not really believe in God at all, or Jesus, or the afterlife. He only believed in the very next party that he was going to attend. But his dad was dying, and so he was faced with this, and he read this book and was blown away. He, at the end of the book, he thought, maybe God is real. And so he started studying uh, the scriptures with a small group of people. He found faith. He would go on to start a church for skeptics and doubters like him uh, to explore faith. And over the years since then, he has studied close to 1,000 accounts of near-death experiences, and he's come to the conclusion that they absolutely reveal what the scriptures already say, but they help us in a way that we are able to imagine what heaven is going to be and how great it's going to be. And so he wrote a book and he entitled it, Imagine Heaven. Now, we have some of those books here. Uh, if you are around in 2018, we actually went through uh, that book together as a church and, and we have a whole series of sermons on that subject if you want to look back. And today, uh, we're going to regurgitate some of that material. And if you're skeptical of all of this, when I just said near-death experience, man, you just said, okay, here we go. Uh, I, I, want you to, I want you to know you should be skeptical, okay? Uh, some of these stories that you, you hear about or read, they say absolutely bizarre things. And so it's very, very dangerous for us to take even one of those or even a few of those kind of anecdotal stories and use them as a basis for a theology about the afterlife, right? 
John Burke has taken nearly a thousand stories and included 120 of them in his book, Imagine Heaven. And he shows what they all hold in common and how they actually do line up with Scripture. Uh, scripture is absolutely where we need to base our theology and belief. And in John, John's words, he says this, our most reliable source for what heaven is like is the Bible. Absolutely. The Bible contains black and white words about the afterlife, but what these near-death experiences do is that they add color to the picture. They don't contradict, they complement. And so, in these thousands of accounts, there are several specific elements that keep showing up over and over again, and we're going to discuss some of those today. And as we do, I want you to see how closely they align with what we already know in Scripture. And to say the evidence is compelling is kind of an understatement. So here's the first common experience that people uh, who have accounts like this commonly share. Number one, out of body. I, I was out of my body. Now, each of us have certain uh, this uneasiness, right, about how this life will end. Um, will everything go black? Will there be pain? Will there be fear? Will there be peace? Three quarters of people who have near-death experiences report that they actually leave their body. They have a separation of their consciousness from their physical body. Uh, some even remain nearby uh, in the vicinity, and they find themselves above their body, looking down on their lifeless body. Cardiologist uh, Dr. Michael Sabom describes what changed his mind about this. He said, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience until a patient told me that he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest uh, and watched the resuscitation. And when I asked him to tell me exactly what he saw, he described his own resuscitation with such detail and accuracy that I could have later used it to, uh, to teach physicians how to do it. Dr. Sabom said he, from that event on, he did five years of research on NDEs. He published his findings in a, in a book, and he also uh, published in the Journal of American Medical Association. Um, and a radiation oncologist, Dr. Jeffrey Long, found that research, and he read Sabom's findings, and he said, I don't buy it at all. And then he was at a dinner party one night with a bunch of friends, and one of them mentioned that she had had a food allergy that made her code. Uh, she was dead on the table. Her heart had stopped. And Dr. Long decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to probe here. And he asked his friends, did anything happen to you? while you coded on the table. Very hesitantly, she shared her story. She said, yes, I, I, I found myself at a ceiling level. I could see the EKG machine that I was hooked to. The EKG machine was flatlined. The doctors and nurses were frantically trying to bring me back to life. Uh, and in contrast to the chaos below, I had this very profound sense of peace. I was completely free of any pain. Uh, later, uh, a tunnel opened up. I was drawn into the tunnel, and then I passed through the tunnel and became aware of a bright light at the end of the tunnel, and I felt super peaceful again. I found myself in an area of beautiful, 
mystical light. Uh, my relatives who had previously died were there. We had this joyous reunion. We embraced. Notice that. Like there's, there's a physical body to be able to embrace. Um, and I found myself, she said, with this, uh, with a mystical being of overwhelming love of, and compassion. And, and Dr. Long said, uh, tell, tell us more. She said, the being said, do you want to go back? And she said, it was a hard decision. Uh, I was in a realm of overwhelming love. This realm I knew was truly home. That's how she described it. But I did return to my body. I woke in the ICU over a day later, and I had tubes and wires all over me, and I could not come to talk about my profound experience. And since that dinner party, Dr. Long has collected and scientifically studied thousands of accounts, just like his friends, from all across the world and all around the globe. And he concludes this. This is what he says. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. That's what science, the best science, is telling us. The Lancelet is another medical journal, and it uh, published another account of a patient having a cardiac arrest and not breathing. And at the time, there was a tube that was placed in the airway to vent ventilate the patient and it was noted that he had upper dentures. And so those dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer uh, in the surgical room while the patient was deeply comatose. Over a week later, the patient came to, reported having this out-of-body experience and accurately described the room that he was resuscitated in, the people that were present, everything that was going on, and his dentures could not be found. Uh, they didn't know where they went. Remarkably, he said, I know where they are. Go look in the crash cart drawer, about three drawers down, and you'll find my dentures. And remarkably, that's where they were. How did he know? In another account, a woman named Mary was on the emergency room table with a cardiac event, and suddenly she found herself above her body and was aware of every detail in the room. And she has uh, one thing... Uh, in many of these experiences that is common. Um, but the telling one is that while she was floating above her body, she was actually above the ceiling fan. And she noticed a red label on the top of one of the blades. And after uh, the medical team had her stabilized and she came to, the nurse was checking on her. And she convinced the nurse to go and get a tall ladder and climb to the top above the ceiling fan so that she could see the blade herself. And the nurse and an orderly both climbed the ladder and saw the hidden red label that was obviously out of view of everybody and listened as this patient described what was on the sticker of the top of the blade of the ceiling fan in detail. There's another bewildering account that comes to, from another heart attack patient. She was unconscious. She re reported separating from her body, drifting toward the ceiling and outside the hospital. And as she drifted outside the hospital, she saw a tennis shoe on the third story ledge of the hospital. She described it as a man's shoe, left footed, dark blue with a wear mark over the pinky toe, a shoelace tucked under the heel. 
she was stabilized, and after she left the room, or before she left the room, she told people about the shoe. The shoe was actually found much out of ordinary sight of everybody on the third story ledge, just as she had described. Now, it's details like those stories that have led many to be convinced that near-death experiences are absolutely real. Clinically dead people describe things that they couldn't possibly have seen unless they really observed them from another vantage point outside their lifeless body. And so both adults and children give us accounts like these. And so the picture we get is people leaving their physical body behind and yet they stay themselves. What does that tell us? It tells us that we are more than our physical body. Whatever you are, it's not just your anatomy. You are more than that. And that's, guess what? What the Bible has told us for thousands of years. The Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road encounters a man of blinding light. As you'll begin to see out of some of these stories, that's like what a lot of people report when they have an experience like this. And and Paul realizes that Jesus is Lord and Christ, but he still has to make a decision. He still has to decide if he's going to follow Jesus, which is also true of NDE accounts. They still have a choice to make. And so Paul makes his choice and he starts preaching Jesus. He starts churches across the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 14 uh, comes and there are enemies of Paul who stone him, who drag him out of town, leaving him for dead. And as the believers gather around him thinking that he's dead, he actually gets up and he walks back into town. And then later, Paul, maybe it's about this event in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. What does that sound like? Does that sound very much like the stories that NDEers are sharing? People say that they were out of their body but still very much themselves. They're experiencing things that they have hard, a hard time putting words to and then one of the other things they say is that they were more themselves than ever. Here's common experience number two, that people say, I was more alive than I ever have been. That's a surprising detail that NDE or share, that they couldn't immediately tell that they were dead. That kind of gives hope to me, because uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about the end. Anybody with me there? Like how that's going to go. Uh, but what they thought would be scary was actually invigorating. And when most of us think about heaven, usually we think about something that is less real than this world. We think about uh, heaven being less tangible, kind of fuzzy, ethereal, cloud, cloudy, right? And, and in a word, this is a word a lot of people use, I'm not really sure I want to go to heaven because I think it's going to be boring, right? You heard that. But what people who have these kind of experience, 
share is, no, 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 heaven is more. It's not less. It's more. It's more vision. It's more taste. It's more touch. It's more memory. It's more love. There's a far side cartoon uh, with a guy sitting on a cloud, the edge of a cloud in heaven, and it just says, I wish I'd brought a magazine. And, and that's kind of where a lot of us are, isn't it? We have these views of heaven that it, it must be dreadful. It must just be like an endless church service. Like everybody get out your hymnals and we're going to start at, at hymn, hymn number one and we're going to go all the way to uh, 705 and then when we get done with 705, we're going to start back at number one. And I don't know about you, that sounds dreadful to me, right? That, that sounds, I love church, but that sounds bad. And the ironic truth uh, coming from these accounts is that this life, this life, right now, today, is the one that's boring. Not that one. As good as this life can be, it's not, this life isn't what we were created for. It, it has sin in it. It has death in it. And that was never the plan. This life is just a shadow of the real life to come. That's what Hebrews chapter 8 says. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. Don Piper was pronounced dead for 90 minutes by emergency uh, personnel after an 18-wheeler ran over the top of his car. And he had an experience of heaven. And he describes it to us in words that he uh, finds available. He says, as I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything that I'd ever seen. With all the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt as if I had never seen or heard or felt anything so real before. Listen to those words. I thought life was real, but what I was experiencing was real. Uh, typical reports mention that not just the five senses, uh, but that there are actually more senses than ever, and they are all heightened in experience. Um, people talk of having enhanced vision, um, where they can see very far away, they can see very up close. Uh, people talk about the vibrant colors that they've never experienced before. They talk about experiencing music unlike anything we've heard here on earth. So if there's something you don't like here on earth, just leave it behind. There'll be something better up there. Uh, 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 and here's another thing that they talk about, a light, a light unlike any on earth. And that light is worth a closer look. There was a lady named Vicki who was blind from birth, okay? And she flatlined after a bad car accident, and she realized that she separated from her body. She realized that she was now looking down on the doctors working on her body, and guess what? She realized, I can see. I can see. She had a hard time adjusting to visual perception, but she recognized her wedding ring, and she recognized her hair, not because she'd ever seen them, but because of their uniqueness. Her hair was down to her waist, and her wedding ring was specifically ornate, and so she identified both very quickly. And she felt very detached from her body, but she was fully herself. She had a distinct 
form and body, and she said, I was made of light. And she, she found herself going up through this dark enclosure like a tube. She heard sublimely beautiful and exquisitely harmonious music. She found herself on grass, uh, trees, and flowers, and a vast number of people surrounded her in a place of tremendous light. And the light, Vicki said, was something that you could feel as well as see. And even the people she saw were bright. It's like everyone was made of light, and I was made of light. And what the light conveyed was love. There was love everywhere. This, it was like love came from the grass, and love came from the birds, and love came from the trees, and it was incredible and beautiful. She says, I was overwhelmed by that experience because I had never been able to imagine what light was like. Why? Here's the Ron Burgundy moment, because she was blind, right? What's amazing is that Vicki and other people describe light coming out of things rather than shining on things. That doesn't make sense to us. We look around, we, we, you can see me because light is shining on me. That's not what, how people describe heaven, but it's exactly what we see in the Bible. Jesus, what did he say? I am the light of the world. John sees heaven, and he says, the city in heaven has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. The Lamb, which is Jesus, is its light. The nations walk in its light. And so, we have this idea that things in heaven are infused with light. And that's how Vicky, who could never see before, described it. And other uh, accounts by blind people are exactly the same. And the amazing, uh, uh, beyond being able to see, which is amazing in itself, another thing they consistently say is that this place that they got to experience is home. It is absolutely where we belong. It's like they had been away on a long adventure, and now they're home again. And part of the reason that it feels like home is that we will not be alone. And so here's common experience number three, that love is the point of it all. Heaven was meant for relationships. Those who get a glimpse of heaven all agree on one thing more than anything else, that love is the point of life. To love God and to love people is what uh, the prophets and Jesus taught sums up the Bible. Uh, it's why we say around here sometimes, love God, love people. What, what's a Christian? A Christian is somebody that loves God and loves people, right? And if love and relationship is, is the goal here on earth, then it makes sense that God would want that most of all in heaven for eternity. There's a guy named Marv, he was a bank president and he died in the hospital and he recalls a welcome party of close relatives. And when he arrived there, each of those people he realized was significant to him in his spiritual life. He said, everyone I saw had been influential in shaping my life in some way. Uh, a couple weeks from now, when we talk more about what heaven is like, we're going to talk about relationships in a little more detail. But, but here's what we, what we get. 
uh, solid affirmations of what the Bible already says to us, that relationships matter in heaven. And, and not only do they matter, but they'll go to new depths. And the most important relationship, of course, is the one you have with God. And so here's common experience number four, uh, a being of light and a life review. No matter where people are uh, from around the globe, no matter what their beliefs are, whether they're young, whether they're old, people often describe meeting a being of light that they instinctively know to be God, even if they don't believe in God. Those who follow Jesus know right off the bat, he's Jesus. But some people who don't even know who he is, but they describe God, right? Dr. George Ritchie was a psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, and he died of pneumonia, and he has a death certificate to prove it. That's how long he was dead. And he didn't realize that he was standing beside himself looking at his body, and then a light came into the room, and he said it was impossibly bright. It was like a million welder's lamps. I thought this light would destroy uh, any retina in a tenth of a second. But then he corrected himself. He said, no, 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 not, not the light. He, he would be too bright to look at because now he saw that it wasn't a light but a man who had entered the room, uh, a man made of light. And he knew right away that it was Jesus. He learned about Jesus in Sunday school. He had been told that Jesus was gentle and meek, and so he always pictured Jesus as some sort of weakling, but he said, not this person. This person was power itself fused together with an unconditional love that overwhelms me, an astonishing love, a love beyond my wildest imagining. And he said, this love knew everything about me, every unlovable thing, the quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts I could never control, every mean, selfish thought and action since the day I was born, this being of love knew it all and accepted me and loved me just the same. And when I said, when he says he knew everything about me, it was simply an observable fact. He said, for, for into that room, along with his presence, simultaneously, there was every single episode of my entire life. Everything that was happened to me in my life was just simply there in full view, all taking place at that moment. I did not know how that was possible, but there it was. I stared myself, and there I am at the blackboard when I was in third grade. There I am later receiving my Eagle badge. Uh, there I am wheeling my grandpa around hundreds and thousands of scenes all illuminated by a searing light in an existence where time seemed to have ceased. And what's amazing is how consistent this is, this life review in the presence of this man of light who is also unconditional love and yet who knows everything, every thought, every motive, every deed, and across the globe, there are thousands of reports of this life review with this being of light who is love. But isn't that what we should expect? Here's what Jesus said. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be not be made known. 1 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light 
what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. All of this is in the presence of overwhelming love. What did the Apostle John write in 1 John? God is love. The very first clip that we saw is an interview with Dr. Mary Neal, and one of the things that she routinely gets asked is this, why, why doesn't everybody get an experience like that? Why don't we all, I mean, it's one out of 25 from the nearest, thing, what we can tell statistically, why don't we all get experiences like that? Because that's what we want. We want to see, we want to feel, we want to touch so that we can know that God is real and heaven is real and we're just like Thomas. We're just like Thomas. Mostly we have a problem believing not because of our intellect, but because of our experience. And that's where Thomas was. Maybe, maybe that's you today. You'll believe. You'll believe in Jesus. You'll believe in heaven and God when you can when you can touch him, when, you, when he proves himself to you. Maybe this church thing is new to you. And, you know, Thomas was away. He, I think he was out shopping for groceries when Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time. He wasn't there. And he comes back and everybody's saying, Jesus is alive. And he says, no, I don't believe you. There's no way he's alive. I saw him die. I saw him be put in the tomb. There's no way. And I'm not going to believe until I have evidence to believe. And maybe that's you. You're not sure what to think because you haven't been around. You're not sure because maybe you didn't grow up, up in church. Maybe you don't know the books of the Bible too well. So you need hard evidence. Jesus, just show up to me. You need Jesus to appear to you. I, I don't know that he will, but here's what I do know, that he will give you what you need. J.C., go to number 30, and here's what is fascinating, that eight days later, eight days later, after Thomas says, I'm not, I'm not going to believe unless I see him, eight days later, Jesus appears, and without Thomas even asking Jesus for what he needs, Jesus gives Thomas the very thing that he had asked for eight days earlier. How does he know what Thomas had asked for? Oh, he's God. Yeah. He knows what you need. And he quotes Thomas's own words to Thomas from eight days earlier. He says, he says, listen, I know why you doubt, Thomas. And so I want you to take your hand and I want you to put your finger in my hands and in my side. You want me to go for it. That's what you need. Here it is. And as a result, Thomas believed. He was the first Jew in human history to say of Jesus, my Lord and my God. God will give you what you need to believe. He will give you enough to decide whether he is Lord and God. Maybe you are here today and you're not really skeptical. You're kind of beyond that and, and you do believe. And you are expectant even. And there's something here for us too. Jesus says to Thomas, you know what? You believe because you had a certain experience. You were able to touch me. Blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. That's most of us. 
right? John concludes his uh, writing of this experience and his whole book with these words, that I have written these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. That's all of us in this room. And we have enough to believe because we have the resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Do I have evidence for the afterlife? Uh, absolutely I do. And his name is Jesus. He is the Savior who died and was buried and who rose again, who walked out of the tomb. And we would love for you to meet him today, to get to know him, to declare him Lord and God, just like Thomas did, to be baptized in his name so that your eternity is sure, so that you can be raised just like Jesus was raised, but also so that you can live life even today. God, we thank you for stories that affirm our faith, that echo what you've already told us to be true in Scripture. Would you fill us with your love, with your life, so that even those in the room who don't know you yet will get a glimpse of that life that is waiting for them. And it's in the powerful, strong, victorious, loving name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, 